Let's begin by noticing one little verse in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, please. Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll get right into our overall discussion. Our Wednesday evening class, we uh, generally discuss uh, scriptures that support a particular theme and then invite uh, your comments as we move along and then hopefully also uh, stimulate some uh, discussion. Always though, uh, each of us seeking to prepare ourselves, uh, equip ourselves to be the person that God would have us to be. We're thankful that you are here. I think as we read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 together, you'll see the theme that we're going to be focused on this evening. Starting start in verse 10 with me. Hebrews 2, verse 10, For it became Him... For whom are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth, and they that are sanctified, are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto the brethren, unto my brethren, in the midst of the congregation, while I sing thy praise. So we're going to jump on to the theme of, of a word that sounds bad, that sounds long, that sounds hard, sanctification, sanctify, but it's really not uh, difficult at all. A general rule of thumb is that if someone is teaching religion, teaching the Bible, and they're making salvation sound very complicated or making church or Christian living or worship to God sound complicated, then probably you need to go back and relook at what they're saying because God does not present uh, His doctrines to us in a complicated manner. That's not to say that there are not hard-to-understand passages in the Bible. But the themes of the Bible that are most dominant, most uh, preeminent uh, for us in our lives are not complicated. And it's the same thing here uh, with the idea of being sanctified. Sanctified. Let me uh, start out by just mentioning a few false ideals in regard uh, to being uh, sanctified. Uh, some say that uh, we are born with a with a carnal nature that we born that we're born sinners, and therefore sanctification is that process by which uh, you overcome that unfortunate way that you were born. But the Bible does not does not teach that we're born sinners. In fact, we come into this world completely innocent as as babes, as as little children. In Matthew nineteen thirteen and fourteen, Jesus uh, picks up little children and puts them in his lap and. He says, of such is the kingdom of God. Matthew 18, 1 through 4, as he's speaking with his disciples, he, he does pretty much the same thing. He brings a little child in their midst, Matthew 18, 1 through 4, and, and says, whoever becomes like a little child, 
Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Gotta humble yourself like a little child. It's an insult to God, really, to say that we're born into this world sinners because um, God has not uh, taught that whatsoever. He would not, would not. And um, there's no plan of salvation for little children. They're simply here for us to guide them uh, into the truth. Another false idea is that, that sanctification somehow equals perfection. Perfection. And of course, that's not the case. We're human beings and we're never going to arrive at a state of perfection, no matter who we are. Look over with me to Philippians chapter 3 for a second. Uh, even the Apostle Paul never regarded himself in such a way as being perfect. Look at what he says in Hebrews 3. Or Hebrews, did I say Hebrews? Philippians 3, verse 12. Philippians 3, 12. Not that I have already obtained, Paul says. Or that I'm already made perfect. But I press on, if so be, that I may lay hold on that for which also I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. I count not myself to have laid hold on, but one thing I do... Forgetting those things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before. Paul says, I have not arrived. I'm still striving to be more uh, like my Lord. Then another false system is that which the uh, Catholic Church has uh, lived upon and taught for, for many years. That somehow a person who has lived a, a good life... Uh, can perhaps go on as they leave this earth and obtain sainthood. And so what they do when they feel like they've got a person who may be qualified for sainthood, saying that sainthood comes after they have passed on from this life, they will do first a preparation. They will, they will examine that person's life and see if indeed what is said of them is true. And then they also look and see if that person has maybe performed a miracle or two while they were here. If they find that person is qualified in their sense, in their sense, uh, for sainthood, then they'll make a, dec a formal declaring okay, uh, of that, and the, uh, the Pope will get involved, and uh, then they'll declare that person who has passed on as being entered into sainthood, and, they, and some even teach that you can pray toward uh, that person. Of course, all that system is very, very false. The Bible doesn't come even close to supporting uh, those ideals. But nonetheless, uh, that is uh, out, out there. Saints are not said to be uh, anywhere but on earth. Saints are on earth. And we'll look at that here in just a few minutes. But most concerning is uh, that we who uh, revere the Bible... Uh, it would be most concerning if we do not have an appreciation for the ideal of being sanctified. And that's why we're studying it. We want to review the things that go along with this. Okay. So let's begin together and just think for a moment about what it means to be sanctified. And you've heard this probably many times. To be sanctified is to be set apart for a sacred purpose and to be holy. And to be holy. Oftentimes... As you're reading through different translations, King James, English Standard Version, uh, New King James, you will see a, a back and forth. Sometimes what is said in one version to say sanctify, 
Another version will say holy or holiness, and that's okay because the, the terms are very close, very close. But it means to be holy, to be set apart for a sacred purpose. Now, only God himself, the Lord God, can be said to be absolutely, perfectly holy and sanctified. He is in a class, as you know, all by himself. First Peter chapter 1, 14, 15, and 16 quotes, I think, from Deuteronomy where God had said, Be ye holy as I am holy. In Isaiah's vision of the sacred throne, he sees angels praising the Lord, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah uh, chapter 6. Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers, Matthew 6 and verse 9. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God is in a class all by himself. It's interesting though, you might want to glance over to uh, Luke chapter 1. And notice how this is applied to Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 1 and 35. Remember Gabriel coming to uh, Mary, speaking about uh, her having the uh, Messiah child, Jesus. And notice how it's described here in Luke 1 35. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. Wherefore also the holy thing, notice that, the holy thing which is begotten shall be called the Son of God. That's, that's our word right there for sanctification, holiness, Christ himself being the Son, the Son of the Most High is holy. And then also in this regard, look back to Mark chapter 1. I find this rather interesting uh, how Jesus encounters oftentimes these Demon-possessed folks, and sometimes the demons themselves would speak out to Christ. Notice this, Mark 1, 24. Mark chapter 1, uh, 24. Mark 1, 24. The demon says to Jesus, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Nazarene? Art Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Notice that. Even the demons know who Jesus is, the Holy One of God. So only God can be said to be perfectly holy. Nonetheless, of course, in a lower sense, but a very important sense, we also are called to be holy. We are called to be sanctified. We are called, in other words, to be saints. To be saints. And so let's notice uh, at least one reference there. Uh, the one coming to my mind is Romans uh, chapter 1. Oftentimes Paul in the beginning of his writings will remind us of who we are. Who are we? Who is, who is, how does he consider himself? Paul sometimes will say, well, I'm an apostle, I'm a servant of Christ, and I'm writing to you Christians. Sometimes he reminds us of who we are. Notice in Romans 1 and verse 7. Romans 1 verse 7. To all that are in Rome, beloved of God, and notice this, called to be saints. That's our word. Called to be holy. Called to be sanctified. Called for us to be set apart 
for God's holy purpose. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And this begs the question as we begin our discussion together. If God has called us to be set apart as holy, why do we try to be so much like the world? Why do we seek to be like the world? There's nothing in God's communication to us that ever tells us you need to try to be like the world. Okay. You need to try to communicate to the world that you can come join us because we're not that much different than you are. Okay. That would be totally the wrong message because that's not from Scripture. God has called us to be different. The process of living for Him is the process of becoming very much different uh, from the world. And so it would puzzle us uh, to know in why anyone following Jesus would try to seek to be like uh, the world. Look with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 for a second. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 6. Paul can say it much better than um, we can. But beginning in uh, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are a temple of the living God. Even as God God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come you out from among them, and be ye separate. Have you underscored that in your Bible? Come you out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, and I will, I will receive you. And I will be to you a father, and you shall be to me as sons and daughters. And don't stop reading there. Go on into chapter 7 of Second Corinthians. Verse 1 says the Lord Almighty, Have therefore, therefore, based on what I just said, Paul, Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, there's our word, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God has in mind. So God is absolutely holy, sanctified, but He calls us to be holy, to be ye holy as I am holy. It's, it's the greatest calling known to man. And I wonder, I wonder out loud here, do we really sit down and think about this calling of, of God that He gives to us from, from His writings? So it's, a, it's a huge calling. It's not to be taken uh, lightly. Alright? Now, as we're flipping through our Bibles, let's, let's run back to Hebrews uh, again, Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. And let's notice this idea, which is very important, that our being um, holy, or our being called to be sanctified, is based on the death of Jesus. It's based on, of course, God's love and mercy, long-suffering and patience that sent Jesus here but we can't go any further in our discussion until we recognize how important uh, that is. So Hebrews chapter 9, 
we'll read 13 and 14, and then we'll jump to chapter 10 right quick. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14, For if the blood, and, and the apostle here is referring back, comparing the Old Testament mosaical system to the now better system of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 9, 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling them that have been defiled, uh, sanctify unto the cleanness of the flesh, okay, under that system, how much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish unto God, how much more shall that cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So if God set up for a temporary term that those of Israel could have a sanctification, a set apart to the cleanness of their flesh through the blood of animals, how much more today does he offer through the blood of Jesus the opportunity to have your conscience cleansed? By the way, just a note there, in becoming saved from our sins or sanctified, does it require the blood of Jesus or our obedience or both? It requires both. So one little passage you might write down there beside Hebrews 9.14 is 1 Peter 3.21. It says, The light figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but what? The answer, the appeal to God for a good conscience. Okay, you remember that. Right. Now, jumping over to Hebrews 10, verse 10, this is really the one we wanted to look at here that supports the fact that our sanctification is based on the death of Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 10, by which will? In other words, now that the will of Jesus, the covenant of Jesus, going back to verse 9 of Hebrews 10, verse 9, I am come to do thy will. He takes away the first will or covenant that he may establish the second. Okay. By which will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all time. Okay. And so we must base always anything that we seek to be before God, anything we seek to understand, we base that on the cross of Jesus and all that work that God did bringing him to the earth. Okay. Now, in your knowledge you know that God brings us good things, but also he expects a response from us. And it's that way also when it comes to sanctification. There's a real sense in which we get ourselves sanctified, even though... It's the Lord doing the sanctifying, yet He expects us to respond uh, to Him, to His Word, in order to be sanctified. We've got to notice that process as well. Anything anyone would like to add so far, though, as we think about this important thing? Okay. Alright, so I look at this with three major steps. Three major steps. And um, uh, three particular verses. All right. 
So the first verse is John 17, 17. The second verse is 1 Peter 3, 15. And then the third verse is Ephesians 5, 26. But I believe these verses represent the process of being sanctified by the Lord. And being sanctified in this sense is the same thing as being cleansed from our sin. Or at least the cleansing puts us in the position to be sanctified and set apart. So first of all, look at John 17, 17. And what does that say? What does John 17, 17 say? Okay, who's speaking there? Yeah, Jesus Christ. And what type of communication is this in John 17? Okay, very important prayer Jesus is offering. This is before he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, but, but it's not far. It's, it's just right around the corner. But Jesus is praying. He's praying in particular for his apostles here. But notice that to be sanctified, we first need divine truth. And that truth, of course, is found right here in our New Testaments. But it's very important for us to understand that sanctification comes through knowing the truth of God and, and obeying it. Okay. It doesn't come through some mystical or unexplainable experience. It, it doesn't come because somehow God, a long time ago, chose you individually before He ever created uh, the world. No, this is, this is someone understanding divine truth, understanding how important it is. So Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. And without getting into it very far, we understand that we've got to love the truth. That's one obligation we have. Second Thessalonians 2, uh, 10 through 12. Second Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 talks about loving the truth. There are many people who perish, uh, do not receive forgiveness because they never come around to love the truth. Jesus teaches us in John 8, 32, we've got to know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Okay. So, we've got to love the truth, and then we've got to know the truth. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 22, we must obey the truth. Okay. He says in 1 Peter 1, 22, seeing then you, you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth, then go ahead and have an unfeigned love for the brethren. And so it starts with the truth. It starts with the truth. Now let's turn over to 1 Peter uh, 3 and verse 15. Somebody read that for us. 1 Peter. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man to ask the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Okay. So after someone recognizes the importance of, of the truth and gets himself acquainted with the truth, and especially the, the life and... and uh, sacrifice of Jesus and so forth, then the hope there is that creates an attitude. An attitude. Not just any attitude. But notice what it said there in 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord. That attitude. The attitude that comes from, from resolving in your heart that Christ is going to be your master. He's going to be the master of your life. He is going to be the, the driving force of your life from that point onward. Okay. The heart here, you might call the heart here, the, the center of our decision. This is where we make our decisions. This is, 
This is close to, you know, to our discussion of the soul on Sunday. This is the part of us where we, we think things through and, and we create an attitude. Sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord. God wants us uh, to be so driven by the truth that uh, we come to reverence, respect, and glorify God, set Him apart in our lives as, as who He is, as the Holy One. Okay. And so it's very important that that attitude be created. As we're bringing up our children. We're, this is the process. Okay, we're, we're sharing the scripture with them. We're, we're sharing the truth with, truth with them. But we are careful to make sure that this leads to a, a, a healthy attitude. Respect. Okay. It's not just learning the truth. It's, it's letting that sink into your heart. And then Ephesians 5, 20, 25 and 26. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. What does that say? Husbands loved your wives. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Okay. So notice, again, Paul basing this cleansing this sanctification process first on the death of Jesus. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, gave himself up for it. And then he moves on to talk about this cleansing. Comes through the washing of the water, washing of water and the word. And we have gone through this a jillion times about how this is basically the new birth process Jesus talked about in John 3 and verse 5. He is born of water and the spirit that person will get to enter the kingdom of God. Water here must refer to the waters of baptism. Okay. Now, interestingly, turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, 6, and notice the, how Paul pronounces um, the state of these folks. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, 6, beginning in verse 9. Notice how Paul comes to this conclusion. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9, he says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, or idolaters, or adulterers, the infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. None of these shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. He says, such were some of you. But you were what? Washed. You were what? Sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. So you see it there in your own Bibles. How this process works. It begins with the truth. The truth will create an attitude okay, of respect and reverence, especially for the Lord Jesus and now you're ready to see what what would the Lord have me to do. I like that. You know, I, I just love that because that's kind of how the New Testament is set up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, you read that and you walk away with a great respect for the Lord Jesus. And now we, you're coming to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts shows you how to do the very thing we're just talking about. How to put the Lord Jesus on. How to um, bring this sanctification, this forgiveness of sins into your lives. Okay. 
All right. So our next part then of our discussion would have to be how do we grow in our sanctification? How do we grow in this? And how important it is, is it for us to grow uh, in this? Again, there's three or four different verses here that are very important. Very important. So let's start with Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. And uh, be flipping your Bibles to Hebrews 12. You'll want to definitely see how these verses tie in. But we're, now we're switching over. Now, now we're Christians, you know. Now we've gone through that process of sanctification. Now we're Christians. Can we just... Uh, is it a done deal? Of course it's not a done deal. Um, the Lord wants us to grow. And the way He wants us to grow uh, is, is very interesting. So if we look at Hebrews uh, 12... Notice this, verse 14. Verse 14. Follow after peace with all men, and what? And this man says, the sanctification. What does your say there? Holiness. holiness? Okay. Follow after peace with all men, and the holiness, or sanctification, without which, notice, notice this, without which what? Without which what? No man save the Lord. Yeah. We're not just talking about some kind of, of term that's interesting to people or to preachers. Okay, Not just a theological term. This is important. Without this that we're talking about, no man shall see God. Now, notice what he wants us to do as we grow. He wants us to strive for peace. Follow after peace. And then looking into verse 15, he says, Look carefully, lest there be in any man that falls short of the grace of God, lest there be any root of bitterness springing up uh, that troubles you, thereby you'll be uh, defiled. So he wants us to grow in this sanctification by, by seeking for peace and being careful about any bitterness. So that's part of growing in this sanctification. There's no peace without victory. And that's what we're striving for in the church. We're striving for people who are willing and anxious for the Lord to do with us like 1 Peter 3.15 says the Lord ought to do with us. Okay. For the Lord to be the master of our life. For the Lord to gain victory over our will. Okay. When that is dominant in a congregation then there will be peace. So that's the ideal of sanctification here. Of course, we want to seek to be peaceful people always, having the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But it begins really by this basic ideal of, of victory. No peace without victory. And that victory, the Lord must win over us. He must, he must control us. He must, he must be on our, on our hearts. Now, thinking about this growing uh, process, let's look at a, another passage. Please turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. So, seek after peace and don't let any bitterness come in. That's part of the growing process. But also, keeping our bodies, our minds, and our habits pure. That's another big part of the process of growing in sanctification. So, you'll see in your Bibles, 
Uh, Romans 6, 19. And let's read through 22. Anyone would like to read that for us? Hebrews, did I say Hebrews? Romans 6, 19 to 22. And you'll see why we're reading it here. Who would like to read? Romans 6, 19 to 22. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things were of Now notice, at least twice there, Paul said, now, now. There was a time where you took the members of your body, okay, and you let them serve iniquity. You let them serve unrighteousness. Okay? But now, now you are sanctified. Now you've become a Christian. Now the blood of Jesus. Now what is your responsibility? To take that same body and use it for righteousness. And this will eventually result in eternal life, as you can see here. All right. So, uh, another passage we won't run over there, but in your, in your uh, mind or write it in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 3 and 4, God hasn't called us uh, unto uncleanness, but He's called us for holiness, sanctification. So, 1 Thessalonians 4 is a good one to read along with that. All right, so I want to jump over to something here. What we've done is notice the meaning of sanctification and then how that relates to us, relates to God, relates to us, and how that it's based on the death of Jesus. There's a process of becoming sanctified, and we've got to grow in that. We've got to continue to grow in sanctification. There's several passages uh, there. But I want to jump over and just ask you something here before our time runs out. I'm going to ask our smart guys this. Okay, every guy in here is smart. Right? 1 Corinthians 7 says that the, um, the believing wife, rather, I should say it like this, the unbelieving uh, mate is sanctified by the believing wife. Is that what it says? So what does that mean? 1 Corinthians 7 talking about marriage here. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the brother. Else were your children unclean, now they're holy. So we've done all this talk about sanctification, then Paul brings up this. Paul loves to do this. Okay. Paul is about as sneaky as Paul Gilliland. Paul, the Apostle Paul had this little sneakiness about him. He loved to throw things at you and just make you think. So what does the Apostle Paul mean here when he says the, the uh, believing wife can provide a sanctification for an unbelieving husband or vice versa? Okay, we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just getting married brings salvation to your house. That would, that's not what it means. What does this mean? Anybody want to take a stab at it? 
Okay. Okay, I think you're on the right track there. Who wants to add to that? Yep. Um, he has, in staying with her, he has decided that this is a good thing for their home. And perhaps, what else is taking place here? Yeah, uh, Chris is adding there 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, where the unbelieving husband can behold the goodness, the good behavior, and good works of the Christian wife and be moved by that. So be the influence. Yeah. Uh, Mike says it be the influence. And that, I think that's, that's hitting on it pretty close. In other words... Uh, the believing wife, and we're saying believing in the full sense, she's taken to heart all that we've talked about tonight, and then, then some. Then she is creating an atmosphere in her home to where that's going to be very conducive for the, the unbelieving husband to, um, to come around, to perhaps uh, see the light of Christ uh, through his wife's behavior and eventually obey himself. Uh, sanctified in the sense that since she's a Christian, then all the godless influence that could be in that home and influencing him in the other direction is not there. So she's creating a, an atmosphere there that we need in all our homes, uh, but perhaps um, that's what Paul's saying. Okay. Uh, in her influence, and this can go in any home, any home. She is creating a, a sanctified, a, a home that is set apart uh, from other homes. And uh, if she didn't, if, if this wasn't the case, then that unbelieving husband would not have near the chance of coming to see the knowledge of Christ. So, any other thoughts on that? Anyone? Right. That, that is often the case. Brent's saying that actually the, sometimes the unbeliever will start participating in the very good works because it's obvious that it's good. It's obvious that it's good. And he'll, he'll begin, that'll begin to rub off on him and he'll, he'll participate on those and see the goodness in that himself and that, that makes the conditions even better. There are even atheists today who, who will conclude how good Christianity is for the world, even though they don't want to come around and believe in God. But they will say such things as sacrifice and forgiveness and holiness is, is absolutely necessary and good for families and for society. 
And so uh, this Christian behavior sets up a, a great That's, that's interesting. He would walk them right up to the gate where the church building was and make sure they got there safely, make sure they had that opportunity uh, to go to church. Okay. That's, in, that's good. So, now, is it possible for us to forfeit once we have grabbed hold of this life that God wants us to have? Is it possible for us to forfeit this life? Is it possible for us to throw all this away? Or is it a done deal? Forever and ever. We throw it away every day. People do it every day. It's a choice. So it is a, it is a choice that we make. Okay. People do it in God's cannot be associated with sin. When someone is converted, someone becomes a Christian and then goes back into the world committing sin. God cannot be associated with that. Because it cannot be with sin. Brent pointing out how just holy God is. And God cannot associate with holiness. So absolutely, we can walk away from God. We can defy this sanctification that, that we've been called to have. Now, remember this verse that we started with here, Hebrews 2.11. He who sanctifies God and those who are sanctified us are all of one. God wants to be one with us. He wants to walk with us, we with him. I believe that's a great verse. It challenges me. Am I one with God? I certainly feel like Paul, his words from Philippians 3.12, I, have, I haven't arrived. I know myself. I, I'm not near arriving at where I should be. But God wants us to come out from the world and be one with Him. The one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. So let's give consideration to that and see what all that means uh, as we study further on this thing. Thank you for being in, in class and going through these Verses and um, there's much more to this theme, uh, as you know. But um, given the time that we have, I wanted to bring out some of these ideas.